Are you ready? Yeah. To the Do You Cash Flow podcast, where we talk about real estate, real estate investing, flipping, managing, pretty much anything about making money in real estate. If you're new to the show, this is a weekly show that publishes every Friday. And if you get value out of this show, please subscribe to the podcast. It really helps our ratings. And hit that share button and send it to a friend if you think you could, if you think they could benefit from creating sustainable wealth through real estate investing and ownership. My name is Jason Kirchie, and along with Kyle Balif, this is the Do You Cash Flow podcast. Are we doing the song again? Maybe not. What are we talking about today, Kyle? Talking about flipping real estate. Flipping real estate. We are talking about flipping real estate today because Kyle flips real estate. And I don't. And I'd like to know all about it. And I think you would too. Maybe. If you wouldn't like to know about it, maybe you maybe you should move on to a different podcast. No, it's not for you. It's not for everyone, that's for sure. <laughs> so I moved to Utah a couple of years ago, came back. Kyle's like, turns out I'm a professional flipper now. I flip lots of stuff. We actually had a hurricane here, right? A pretty devastating hurricane in Panama City, and it actually was a perfect opportunity for you to figure this out, right? Right. So tell me how you got started in flipping real estate. Well, I did a little bit before the storm. Um, I did several flips before the storm, and then when the storm came, when it first came, like everyone else, we were a little bit scared. But once we realized that we can buy these properties at a discounted rate and then turn around and flip them for a profit, that's what got us kind of started. Um, I actually got a partner who was my money guy. They kind of helped buy the properties and provided the rehab money, and I just basically managed them all. And that is kind of how I got started in that part. Would you say you've got a uh, sugar daddy? You can call it that. You can call it everything. <laughs> so, how do you how do you get started in flipping? Like I, I don't even know where to start. Right? Where do you, where do you start? Uh, it's a great question. It's you got to have a a mentor because, like you said, it's very like where do you start? I mean, there's so many aspects to flipping that you can't just go. You can decide one day I'm going to flip. Okay, great. Well, you still have to identify a property. You still have to come up with the property. You have to come up with the money. You got to understand your margins. You've got to understand what it costs actually flip. So you can't just go make an offer without knowing um, the aspects of each thing. So let's let's talk about let's talk about that first. So I got into it. Um, so before I got a partner, I actually have relationships with other people that have money. And I presented it to one of my friends who's got money, and he presided. He prevented. Can't speak today. Prevented. Yes, he provided all the money, and so we basically split it fifty-fifty. He provided the money, and I just did all the work, meaning I subbed it all out. I also went and found the deal. Um, and that's kind of how I got started. Kind of fell into it. There was a house that needed a lot of work. I'll give you an example. One that we did two years ago here in Panama City Beach. The guy was headed into foreclosure. Uh, so we basically, we bought it the day before it went to auction from him. We closed on it for about one, what did we pay for that one? 140 We put $50,000 in, it was $55,000 into it, and we s- sold it for two eighty four. So we were all in at about two. 
210 minus all your closing costs and lending fees. No, after lending fees is about 225. That's right. So around $56,000. Lending profit. fees like you got a loan from the bank? Sorry, my friend Charles also charged me lending fees. Oh, got it. Okay. So Okay, so what'd you pay for the property again? 140. And what what did it cost to get it to condition to sell? I put about 55. Okay. How I mean, I guess part of the thing that's that's sort of intimidating to me in terms of getting into something like this is I don't I I don't I don't like fix I don't like a fixer upper. Does that make sense? Like I don't want to go in and swing a hammer. I don't want to go in and rip up floors. Like I'm 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 handy enough, you know, but like I'm not like a rebuild my house kind of handy. You know what I mean? And I guess when I see like an opportunity to flip, that's what I'm thinking about. You know what I mean? I'm thinking like I'm gonna have to tear down walls and put in new flooring and rip out cabinetry and put in new cabinetry and be able to do all that stuff. And I know you said a minute, a minute ago that you sub it out. And I think that you had told me that previously that you just, you sub it all out. You don't necessarily do the work, but you should, I guess, be comfortable to at least know what you're looking at, right? Before you get into this. I mean, you can learn anything, but I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to gauge like who this is good for and who it isn't so that maybe somebody doesn't get halfway in and be like, this sucks. Well, you've known me for eight years. I'm not one that picks up a hammer either. Yeah. I maybe know how to paint, but that might be the extent of my skills. You do have soft hands. <laughs> However, yes. So coming back to that, you, you have to understand what everything costs because that is what will kill you in a flip. For, for an example, flooring. When I go into a project, if I know I have to rip up flooring and put in new flooring, I know that I can get LVP for about 2 to, two to 250 square foot define lvp for everybody luxury vinyl planks you should put that in every house luxury is that like uh it's like kind of like this manufactured wood like what we have in our office here yes just make sure it's waterproof looks like wood feels like wood maybe a little bit not nearly as expensive but it's vinyl yes and durable very durable that's why i like it yeah so lvp so lvp costs about it can be anywhere the range I buy is between $2 to 250 a square foot. I also know that my labor is about 150 to $2 a square foot to install. So that puts me at around 4 to $5 to install. So you have to take that into account when you are doing up your numbers for your flip. Another thing, you got to know how much it costs to paint. Every painter is different. Some painters charge like $30 a linear foot. Yeah. Some charge 50 It's crazy. So you have to under, that's another thing. We'll come back to that in a minute, but you see, you got to know your numbers. So for another example, you know, a drywall cost, it can be anywhere from, it depends how much, if you have a completely gut, you got to, that's another thing. You have to know how much it costs to demo it. So if a house has to be completely demoed, contractors hate demo work, by the way. Why? Because it's the most. So you got to clean it up. Yes. They have to rip everything out and it just takes a lot of time. And it's probably the most, some of the most expensive part of the job. So another thing to understand is, again, how much work you're going to need for the property. Paint, you have to understand paint, flooring. If you're going to redo cabinets, how much cabinets are going to cost. And how, I mean, cabinets can be, again, like flooring can be, you can go cheap end, high end. Um, I tend to stick with the lowest cabinets because they're very cheap and easy to put in. I can probably put in new cabinets anywhere from two to 4000 depending on how big the kitchen is. Mm-hmm. I can also put in um, countertops. You can 
you can get either. I don't put granite in many houses because it's expensive, but I can get the butcher block for eight hundred dollars for an eight foot board. Okay. And I usually put that in there because it's the look right now. Everyone likes it. Yeah, it's a cool look. They just don't realize how cheap it is, but it's a great look. Is it wood butcher block? Mm-hmm. So it's like a wood countertop. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's actually a pain to take care of. I mean, I was pretending like I knew what it was a minute ago, but I don't actually. Yeah, I don't have wood. wood. It's thick. It's but it's the look everyone's going for right now. Okay. And then usually put it with like a subway tile backsplash. It really makes the house pop. So, I mean, how do you pick the home? I mean, so I guess I don't. Well, I don't know anything about flipping, right? But but I guess in my head, like I read one of. Um, it might have even been his first book, President Trump's first book, The Art of the Deal. Anyway, he talks about, uh, you know, flipping real estate. He's like, real estate's a great way to build wealth, great way to get started. You know, he, I think, pretty much only did really, really big deals. But he was talking about, you know, just get started. Find a townhome. Fix it up. Sell it for a profit. You know, rent it out. Whatever. And so, like, that's kind of like what I think about. I think about, like, different ways to just kind of, like, get started and find something that maybe doesn't need a whole lot of work, but maybe needs enough to where there's an opportunity to go in and throw a little bit of money at it. And then, you know, maybe you fix it up, rent it out and hold it for a year or two and then flip it. Or maybe you fix it up and don't rent it out and just sell it right away. I mean, it kind of depends on what your flavor is and really what you can afford to carry, I guess. But how do you know, like, let me back up. How do you find the deals? Right. That's, that's the, that's the little trick, right? Cause you're not, for those of you guys that are listening, I asked Kyle one time, he's like, I'm not looking on the MLS. I can tell you that right now. Cause I'm looking on the MLS trying to find some deals. And he's like, that's the wrong place to look. And I'm like, where am I supposed to be looking, man? Where am I supposed to be looking? Where are we supposed to be looking? Everywhere else, except for the MLS. <laughs> there are certain people that can find a deal on MLS. You're just so going to compete with, you're going to compete with tons of people. Um, totally. But you got to find directed seller. So there's many ways to find, basically I have to find a motivated seller, which a motivated seller is someone that needs to sell quickly. For example, someone's going into foreclosure. For that one that we bought, I'll give you, so they owed one, I think they owed 125. So we gave them 140. So they still walked away with $15,000 to go into their next house. So, and they were right away from foreclosure. So we saved the key thing I'm trying to say is we don't take care of, we don't take advantage of people. We help them in a tough situation to get to the next, for them to move on and we're able to take property. So if you're looking for properties to flip, so you got to go look at houses that are going to foreclosure. Um, you can start calling people that are, I won't suggest pre-foreclosure because Zillow lists pre-foreclosures and that means that someone's just missed one payment and it, it ends up on Zillow, which I think is kind of a waste of time and effort. Oof. But if they're inactive... I don't want to end up on one of those lists. No, you don't. Cause you don't miss a, your payment. You start getting phone calls. Yes, you will. If you're in active foreclosure, those are the people you kind of want to hit. Also, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of driving for dollars. You're basically driving around in neighborhoods and looking for distressed properties. Yeah. And then when you see one, you write down the address and you can either go... Uh, Skip, I can't remember the term, but you go look for their number, skip trace, that's what it is. Skip trace their number and call them, or you can send them a letter, which I just like to send them a letter because they're more responsive. Could you imagine getting a phone call? Hey, I noticed you don't pay your bills. Need some help? (laughs) 
Well, I have gotten the, I'm sure you've all got the letters from the We Buy Houses. That's what we do. Oh, really? I send those out. You send those types of letters out? But I also get them from my own house because I have high equity in my current home. Yeah. And that's a list that people will pull, high equity owners, and they'll send lists, they'll send letters to them. How do you see high equity? How do you pull a list like that? Where do you find that data? Um, there's, it's all out there. You can go to listsource.com, PropStream, okay. all these sources that pull data like that. You pay for it, but they pull the data for you, and then you can send your send your letters out to them. PropStream? Mm-hmm. Any other names you want to drop? Uh, there's a whole lot of them. I don't have them all in front of me. <laughs> I'm just trying to get specifics for you guys. Yeah, do better at getting your specifics more. <laughs> what? So okay, so so you can find lists. Um, what are some other categorical things to look for? Like, if you're going to go find some of these lists, um, what are some of the um good categories to be looking for like in terms of like you you mentioned you get a lot of these letters because you have a lot of you got you have a lot of equity in your home right um you can find i imagine uh lists that have uh like pre-foreclosure you had mentioned that what are some of the other categories of things that you could look for in terms of trying to figure out who some of these people are that might be um interested in selling in a deal like this so for a new investor that doesn't have a lot of money to drop because these these lists are expensive and direct mail is pretty darn expensive because yeah. you have to send out a blanket as you know i send direct mail all the time but it's not well i mean it's expensive but it usually pays off right but some new investors don't have enough money to drop three or four thousand dollars on a direct mail campaign right because you know it's got to take several sometimes to find that property yep so for a new investor driving for dollars is one of the biggest ones because it doesn't cost you any money to drive around right you can drive literally drive to Panama City, and if you can't find a distressed property, you're not even looking. It's not that difficult. You can do it in almost any place across the country, and you start there, and you skip trace and find the phone number or send them a letter. That's where I would start. Okay. Because it's, it's not going to cost you anything, maybe a couple of dollars just to send them a letter or call them. Cold calling is the number one thing that people use to get started. How do you find the phone numbers? Again, some of those same websites, the prop stream okay. that I told you about. Yeah. Skip trace them. Or you could just knock on their door. Yes, you can. Hopefully Except you a lot of the distressed ones, there's no one living there. I know, there's nobody living there. They're, they're not occupied. Okay, so we talked about kind of how you find some of these homes. You had mentioned at one point in time uh, in one of our lunches, about advertising you said you did a lot of facebook advertising a lot of other you know stuff like that um maybe without giving any of your secrets out uh could you maybe summarize or maybe explain how some of that kind of stuff works yeah let's go back to the other one finding them too i forgot to mention you need to you need to go to your local um every area has a local investors club or meetup and you should usually go there because a lot of people will network with each other and give you deals and you should get on every wholesaler's list, basically a wholesaler, someone that goes out and pays money to go out and find these motivated sellers and this sells the contract to you. So you need to go get on their list, meaning if they go find a property for 30000 and then they sell you that property for 35000 so you're basically buying the piece of paper and then buying the house, basically. They're right. selling you the piece of paper. There's a lot of them. You go find them at your local real estate, your local real estate um, investor clubs. And get on all their lists because not all of them will have great deals, but eventually one of them will, and you want to be the first to jump on it. Okay. 
So coming back to the advertising, you're saying what are we doing online for motivated sellers and we're just doing Facebook ads, pay-per-click. Do you design the like the ad? My partner does. Okay. So you just have that down or he does that? Right. He has a video. He's got a little video. Are you in distress and wanting to sell your home? That's not quite how he says it. Call us. Similar. I mean, cash for your home today. Uh, yes. Is your home ugly? We'll pay for it. I would, no, we don't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so, okay, so here's, there's some ideas on a. How do you decide what... So, you know, you might get a couple of leads a month in terms of potential homes to buy. How do you decide one's a good candidate versus one like not being a good candidate? Right? I mean, what kind of a home are you saying like, this is perfect? I guess give me a, give me a, give me a good example of, of, a, of an ideal home that you would come across. You'd say, this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Oh, well, let me ask you this first. What is your goals? Do you want to do a complete rehab or do you want to do what we call a wholetail, which a wholetail means I'm basically putting lipstick on a property. I want to do the easiest, quickest thing to make a buck. That'd be the wholetail options. You're basically going out. Wholetail? Yeah. Okay. It's not quite a wholesale deal and okay. it's not quite a flip. It's like in between. Basically, all it needs is lipstick. So maybe it needs some paint and flooring and then you're in and out. You can be in and out of those in less than a couple of weeks. So you're looking at something and you're going, eh, the roof's good, foundation's good, yard's fine, maybe it could use a little curb appeal, but, you know, really flooring and paint, right? Kitchens looks okay, right? That's what you're talking about? Yes. Bathrooms don't need to be redone. Right. Margin's going to be less on those though, right? Yes, they're going to be significantly less, but that's... So right now I have five going. At this very moment. And you have five going right now? Yes. You didn't tell me that. Well. He says that so nonchalantly. He's got a five going right now. Well. What can I say? One of them is complete and closes at the end of the month. Nice. And then one we just bought a couple of days ago, which is a hotel. So all it needs is paint and flooring. The kitchen's already updated. It's got granite countertops. And... Bathrooms are updated. All needs paint. So tomorrow we're starting paint and ripping out the flooring. Okay. And that one should be on the market literally in probably a week or two at the most. What did you pay for that one? Uh, 180 What do you think you'll sell it for? 230 And you think that there was a $50,000 discount on that just because of, basically just because of aesthetics pretty much? Just wasn't showing right or? Nope. He'd never, so that's the other thing you have to understand. Some people don't want to take the time to call a realtor and put it on the market. Got it. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to cash out. Right. So this guy, we basically, walk. he just wanted out. He said, if you just give me what I want, meaning if you just pay off my mortgage, you can have it. Okay. That's what we did. Well, that sounds like a lucky deal right there. Just it is, but. Kind of matched it up. not a deal I would have new investors do because if you screw up your margins at all, you're kind of screwed on this type of deal. Well, yeah. I mean, you could sit on that. If you don't know what it'll sell for, you could be holding it for months, right? Or years. I mean, you, you don't know. If you know, you know. But if you don't know, then you could end up holding it for a while. Right. And since the profit margins are so slim on this one, if you don't know what you're doing, you'll get burned. Yeah. So we only do those because we know what we're doing but we're still also playing with the market. So what's the best bang for your buck? I mean, what's the most ideal scenario, right? Because I guess in my head, 
the easiest thing to do is going to have the less, the least margins, right? You're going in, you're putting a little lipstick on it, and you're turning it quick. But you're going to have low margins on something like that. So I guess what what kind of a scenario would lead to the highest margins with the least amount of work? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of this 70% rule, but it's like the rule that most investors use okay. when purchasing a property. So, so what it means is you're going to pay 70% of the after repair value. So here's an example. We'll do easy numbers here. So let's say a house is worth $100,000. Okay. So if we're going to buy it... After, that's after repair value is 100000 Okay. So that means when we go to make our offer, 70% of that would be 70000 Right. And then we minus repairs. So let's say it has $25,000 that it needs in repairs. Okay. So the highest offer that we can make is 45000 Got it. And that also gives you a little bit of room. So if you screw up, because you will always... Screw up a little. Always screw up a little. It gives right. you enough to still make something. So... In order to do that, you got to have a pretty good tap on what it needs. Are you getting these homes done? Are you getting these homes professionally inspected? Or are you just doing the inspection yourself? Just doing the inspection myself. Have you ever walked into a scenario where you contract close, walk in, you're like, oh, this needs like $10,000 worth of electrical work or plumbing or there's some issue with the foundation or roof that I didn't, I didn't see and I'm... Now, I'm, now I got to deal with this. Have you ever had a situation like that? And or how do you mitigate or prevent that from happening? Yeah, that I have had that happen before multiple times. All right, tell me. So that's why we're very careful with these hotel deals because you can run into that. So I do, if our margins are tight, I, I do a very thorough, I, well, I do a thorough inspection of all of them, but. Do you have a checklist or something or? I mean, how do you keep yourself organized there? You just all got it in your head? I basically have it in my head, yes. But I do have a checklist when you go through what the repair costs need. So you want to let's give it a perfect example. We just bought one in, in Callaway two months ago. Okay. Um, this one was already completely gutted and already had a new roof. But there's basically nothing in there except for uh, studs and a new roof. We paid 60 for it. Okay. It's probably worth one ninety nine fixed up. Okay. However, it needs about we estimated forty to fifty. Okay. We found out this week, and this is the thing about flipping, you will learn something new every single property. I learned about cast iron pipes. The cast iron pipes in this house have completely deteriorated. Oh. So we have to completely rip them out and have new plumbing entire entire inside the entire home. When was the home built? 1960. See, that's another red flag for me anyway, right? I bought a house in town. Uh, and for those of you li- listening here, we're located in Panama City Beach and as locals call call over across the bridge in Panama City in town. But that was my first house and it was a, I think it was built in 45 or 50, but it had new plumbing at some point in time and, but, and it had new electrical in the 90s. So I had a ground, but it was still out of date, and it was kind of a bear to get it insured. And I will never buy a house that old again. Yes, aluminum wires. People, your insurance are high if you have aluminum wire. My insurance, I could not. So I don't know if it's like this anymore, but in Florida, it used to be, if nobody will insure you, the state had an insurance company called Citizens Insurance. Is that a is that yeah, I remember. is that still a thing? 
um, that's who I had to go through. And it was, I think I paid 165 for the house. I'm pretty sure my insurance was like 2,500, three grand a year. Like it was, and it was a small, I mean, it was atrocious. It was, it was insane. Anyway, back to the show. What were we talking about? Plumbing. Yes. So you had to, did you pull it all out? We're in the process of doing that Ooh, now. How much is that going to cost? Our quote was $9,000. Well, that's not as bad as I was, I was thinking you were going to say like twenty. Well, it could have been. Well, but is that is that just the plumbing? You're going to have to redo the walls as well, right? No, here we got lucky. Okay. So some houses, the plumbing will go all the way through the foundation, mm-hmm. which means you'd have to rip up the entire foundation. Right. We got lucky. Our plumbing goes from the kitchen is on the outer wall to the outside. So we just had to rip up the foundation just where the kitchen was, and the plumbing was right outside. So they didn't have to go very far. Okay. Had they had to go through the house, yeah, it would have been, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, almost tear down the house and start from scratch territory. Uh, almost, but it still would have been at least double, if not triple, what we were. Because they put it in the in. concrete foundation, right? Did that, is that, that's what you're saying. That's what they used to do, right? So you'd have to rip up. What did, did they, well, they wouldn't replace what's in the foundation right they would just redo it in the walls right or what what would they do so our cast iron goes up into the wall okay which we have no drywall right now because it's bare okay and then obviously the pipes go through the concrete outside okay so that's an example of a situation where you got stuck you got burned a little bit right because you were like ooh, that was the only thing i didn't plan for this house because i had already planned for the wiring we were going to rewire the whole house that was already anticipated I know what my drywall costs are. I know what my paint costs are, my flooring costs, my bathroom costs, and my kitchen costs. How would you prevent that from happening in the future? For what I were looking at, just, that one's just a risk. You just have to understand going in that you probably would have to replace the pipes. And if you can't build it into your margin, it's probably one you shouldn't buy. Yeah. Luckily, I mean- we have so much room in this house that it's not going to affect us very much. Some, some in, in prop, I guess a general rule of thumb could be looking at the age of the house. So like I said a minute ago, right? I mean, if you're looking at a house and the structure was built in the fifties or sixties or really anything before the eighties, you really ought to be looking at those things. There are going to be certain times in which particular materials were used for things like plumbing and electrical, et cetera, et cetera. And if you, I guess, uh, learn up on that. You can know of some of the, I guess, how old of a home you want to get, get into. Does that make sense? Right. And that's kind of one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, um, cause I think there's a sweet spot in everything, right? I think, you know, in, in the little area that we live in on 30A, one of the things I keep talking to my wife about is like, we've got, um, you know, quartz countertops in the kitchen. It's a bunch of white and, you know, the house is very like kind of modern and up to date right now. But if you went back 10 years, that's not what was in style 10 years ago. And I would imagine five years from now, the style is already slowly shifting and the style our home is, is right now will be out of style in like maybe as soon as five years. And so that's one of the things we talk about is like, well, we ought to think about letting it go before it either gets out of date and we have to update it or be getting ready to update it in the next five years or so. And so that's kind of like the ongoing conversation that we have, you know, because the part of the problem when you're trying to sell a home 
that is out of style, you know, it was like in style 10 years ago is you're competing with everybody else. It's got fresh lipstick, right? Right. And your lipstick's stale and brown. Nobody likes brown lipstick. That's the other thing you got to, you've got to understand the trends and you can't build to your taste. If you are designing a house based on your taste, there's a good chance it might sit on the market. Unless you have really good tastes. Right. Like really good modern taste. Correct. Which most people don't. Well, yes. Let's just <laughs> say it how it is. Most people don't. Or you just listen to your wife. Right. So I like to do neutral colors for that reason. I like whites and light grays. Right. And for the kitchens, the kitchens right now, I really love the open shelving concept. What does that so, mean? Like, uh, So you have lowers. No cabinet doors? Yeah, no cabinets on the top. No, you're just shelves. Ooh, my wife would hate that. Not everyone likes it. That's true. That's it, a, oh, not everyone likes it. But it is a trend. Yeah. And it sells quick whenever I do it. And it's cheap. Yes. Burr. Cheaper. <laughs> yes. Because you don't have to pay for them doors. Right. But everyone likes, so right now the big trend is the open shelving look. Again, not everyone likes it. Um, but an open kitchen, open floor plans are what's selling right now. People hate it when they're kind of boxed up. There's not a lot of room to move. And four bedrooms are a big deal right now too, especially with COVID. They want that extra bedroom right now. They want that extra space. One of the ones that you've got going on right now, I mean, how how big are the homes that you're usually buying? I mean, some of the numbers you're throwing out, you know, picking something up for 100000 that might need $30,000 worth of work that I can't do the math real quick in my head, you know, but maybe you're going to sell for 150, 160. How big is a place like that? Is that like a three, two, three, 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 two, usually around 1300 square feet. It's pretty common size. The one we're uh, doing the full guts about 1700 square feet. Okay. I don't like too big because again, that's the sweet spot. Do you ever get into roofing? I mean, do you ever like pick something up and, and you're like, everything looks pretty good, but needs a new roof? Or do you try and shy away from places that need a roof? Is a roof kind of like a big thing to bite off? or No, a roof's not a big deal as long as you know your roofing costs and as long as you have a good roofer. Do you? I've done roofs on 50% of my projects. Well, I mean, because a lot of the hurricane deals that you've picked up, I mean, that's, I imagine, a pretty common problem with some of these homes is the roof is right. gone. So during the hurricane year, we were paying almost double what an actual roof should cost. Right. But those costs have dropped significantly now. Do you prefer a shingle roof or a metal roof? I mean, I think metal roof's going to be more, right? Shingle roof's probably cheaper? Yeah, a shingle roof is cheaper. Okay. And that's what the way you're usually going? Yes. Okay. You like cheap lipstick? Well, it's not. I mean, <laughs> a shingle's still a good roof. I know. I'm just joking. I'm just a 38 snob. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So that's another question. You mentioned you're a 38 snob. So that's another thing. you got to understand your market. Yeah, it like, just depends on your market. You don't want to have the nicest house in the crappiest neighborhood, you know, right? You want to have, you really want to have the worst house in the best neighborhood. That's, I mean, from a buyer's perspective, generally, if you're buying your own home, that's kind of like an old rule of thumb, right? I mean, you want to buy something that's going to work for you if you're talking about primary residence or really whatever you're buying. You need to buy something that's going to work for whatever you're trying to do. But generally speaking, you don't want to go pick up the most expensive house in a neighborhood, right? Because the whole neighborhood's going to, they're not going to catch up to you. They're just going to bring your value down long term, right? right? And so what you want to do is you want to go to the nicest neighborhood and buy, buy what you can afford, 
right? You know what I mean? And if you can afford, you know, just get, get in, right? Get the cheapest thing in the nicest neighborhood because you can always improve your home and bring it up to the level of the majority of your neighbors, right? But if you buy the nicest house in the neighborhood, then you're not going to maximize your future appreciation opportunity. Does that make sense? Right. Some investors will argue that point that they will still over-improve their properties and some of them will get the dollar value. You can absolutely over-improve your property. Um, And that's kind of the other thing. So in our business, uh, in vacation short, vacation short, short term vacation rentals, which we talked about last week, by the way, that's, that's kind of the thing, you know, we've got owners that come in and they're like, very rarely do we have owners that come in that are like, want to spend too much money fixing up their property. Usually we have to argue with them and convince them to spend more money. But but there's there's a balance there, right? You you don't want to take a $250,000 condo and put 50 grand into improvements. You know what I mean? Like unless it's worth like a half a million dollars and you got to steal, but you know if you get like a regular old run of the mill two bedroom place over here in Tidewater or whatever, um and it's, you know, 250, 300 and then you go drop 50, 75,000 in putting in I don't know, quartz countertops and travertine paver flooring and whatever fancy stuff that you're going to put in a place. I mean, you're overdoing it, right? You're never going to get that value out of it. It's too much. Right. But you do have some flippers that want to set the comp for that area and will over improve and sometimes they'll get it. Oh, I see what you're saying. I didn't, that point went over my head. Yes, so that's why I'm I'm careful to say that because some flippers will argue with me that, yeah, they'll over-improve because they want to set the comps for the whole area. I'm not that person. I'm not going to over-improve the property, but I am going to make it nice. Well, that's a strategy, right? Yes. So maybe you are a flipper and you pick up five or ten properties in, in an area and you want to over-improve because you want to bring the potential comps up for the other homes that you have that that could be a strategy to do that right to be able to increase your margins you know and especially you know this is an, an another layer uh on this kind of complicating things but you know if you if you go in at volume and you pick up five or ten places in an area you can get uh volume discounts on the materials used to uh renovate upgrade etc and you could actually do a lot of the same things in those homes. Same countertops, same cabinetry, same bathrooms, same flooring, uh, same, you know, whatever, and get uh, really increase your margins. Does that make sense? Right. But that's just, that's. That is a different strategy. You've got to. Taking it another level. Yes. You've got to have several going or they won't going give deep. you that discount. But that's another point that people understand, need to understand about contractors. When you hire a contractor, most of them will give you a blid on the entire work. A blid? I'm sorry, a bid. Oh, a bid. <laughs> I was like, is this another term? A bid. And usually they'll bid that 10 to 15% higher than what they really will take. Okay. And the average person has not know that. They'll just be like, okay, and they'll pay that. Right. You can negotiate with them, and you should. Do you do, you do the work? I mean, you said you don't like to swing a hammer, but do you, do you know how to do some of the things so that, you know, if you end up with a contractor that – a sub that does subpar work and you got to fix it up? I mean, or do you, you just don't touch any of that? I don't touch any of it, but I, I understand how it's all done now. Okay. I've learned, so I know when it's not looking right. And you just don't pay them until the work is completed correctly. Do you have a list of subs that you like to use? 
Yes. But so you've kind of built that? Yes, but I recycle them quite a bit. What does that mean? You fire them and hire new ones? Yes. <laughs> Is that the friendly way of saying they suck and you need new ones yeah, every I mean, now and then? Unfortunately with them, they I don't know what it is, but sometimes you can't get them to show up. No. And sometimes they'll show up and work great for no. like a couple months, and then they'll stop showing up. And this business, well, there's two things. The important part is them showing up and actually doing the work. Right. It's two separate things, unfortunately. It the, shouldn't be that difficult, but it the is. The labor market in this area is really, really challenging, and it always has been. Um, I don't know you know, where, where our listeners are, if they have those types of problems in their market as well. I, I hear that's a, a fairly universal problem, but I feel like our area is just so bad sometimes when it comes to just general labor. People just don't show up. And when you have people that are great, you want to hold on to them. But I mean, uh, so you've got a list of subs that you use. you got people that you recycle, you kind of go through. Um, so, I mean, you can hire a contractor, do the whole thing. I don't do that unless I need a permit. Um, well, let's talk about permitting. When do you need a permit? You need a permit for anything, anytime you have electrical, anytime you have foundation issues, anytime you have uh, plumbing issues or roofing. Now, electrical, foundation, plumbing, roofing, you need a permit that needs to be pulled by a general contractor, Correct. GC, or can the sub that's doing the work pull the permit? They cannot unless they're a licensed contractor. Interesting. So you've, and I imagine some of those rules change per state, right? They so do. per city, maybe even per city. So don't take, you need to, if you do have your any question, you need to go to your city and find out what you're required to pull a permit. Right. Some of them will tell you that drywall needs to be permitted. It doesn't in this area. Okay. But so, so do you have a, a GC that you work with to help pull those permits? I mean, can, is that something, can you hire that out? I mean, what if, you walk into something, you're like, oh, this needs all this stuff, but you're not a GC. You're going to have to find a GC to pull them, and they're right. probably going to do the work because it's technically illegal for them to pull the permits for someone else. Right. I mean, that's what they do. We're not condoning right. illegal activity. I, I'm just trying to figure out logistics, you know, what, what the realistic logistics are. I mean, the reason I try to sub out as much as I can, because it's basically what a contractor does, is they have a general license and they sub everything out and they right. add their percentage on top of that. I guess I thought in the area, in this area, that if you owned it, you could do your own subbing. Where, what, how, how does that work? What are the rules around that? Right? Um, because, I mean, if I, if I have my own house, I can do all my own work and I can sub it out, right? I know have, I can do that on my primary residence. If you own your primary residence, you can pull your own permits. But I guess, is, is that a definition between primary residence and second or third home? Yeah, second or so home, home, you cannot pull your own permits. So that's a, that's a defining factor that is asked yes, at some stage. I've asked that question about five times, okay. all of them. Okay. <laughs> There's no way around that. Okay. So I didn't know because I was actually confused about that. Somebody had told me that uh, if you bought and owned, you could do all of it and you didn't have to get a GC. But that's only on a primary residence. Right. Okay. So, I mean, for flooring and painting, you could literally do that by yourself. You don't need a permit for it. However, again, ask your local area because they may require it. Okay. Anyway, so because I know all, I can I can do basically what the contractor does because I know what these people charge. So right. I can go find a sub to put in flooring, You know, find a, find a sub to do the drywall. I know exactly what it costs. To drywall house now. 
How much does it cost to drywall a house? Well, it depends on who you can find. It's either between $27 to $35 a board. Okay. So then you got to figure out how many boards it's going to have. So do you count, like when you're looking at a house and you know it needs drywall before you buy it, are you counting how many boards it's going to need? You're measuring it out, I guess? No, because that's quite a bit difficult because you have to measure the square footage of the the walls of the house right. and plus the ceiling of the house. So it's, I don't know how to I do know how to do that. I don't do that. Okay. I just have an idea of what, I have a general idea of what it's going to cost. Okay. So for like the house that we're flipping in Callaway right now, it needs 217 boards. I wouldn't have known that, but I had an idea of what it would cost okay. to put it in. It's about ten dollars to $15,000 in drywall. Okay. That includes cutting out plugs, outlets, yes. switches, it. all that. It's finished drywall. Okay. Okay, so we talked about how to find some of these deals. We talked about how to decide what might be a good deal for you or not. What else, what are we missing? What else, what else might people want to know about this? I mean, the selling process, I mean, you're a real estate agent, right? So you sell, you probably list these on your own and put them on the MLS, right? Correct. I mean, that's going to give you the most exposure right now the downside is you're going to pay a selling commission right the upside is you're not paying yourself you know you're just trying to you're not paying yourself a commission you're just trying to get it sold trying to offload the property right that's how but, i save on realtor call. right but you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pay a, a buyer a buyer's commission rather not a seller's commission um is that i mean is that is that what you recommend what if you're not a licensed agent would you recommend still making having a relationship with a realtor to get them put on the MLS and just listing them or just. Yeah, but I would negotiate if you're going to do this consistently where you're going to flip more than one right. and negotiate that commission down because you're going to constantly give them more. They have a reason to lower it or every realtor hates to hear it, but in a hot market, anyone can sell something for sale by owner. Yeah. I mean, you can, it, I guess for, for me, it's always exposure. It's like, you want to make sure that you have, if you want to sell something, you want it to be out there. You want it to be in as many sites as possible, right? Yeah, I mean, you can do flatfee.com. Flatfee.com, yeah. You could. Where you only have to pay the buyer side. I actually yep. do that in other markets. And you can manually put it on Zillow, manually put it on Trulia. I mean, listen, if the, the biggest thing is, is not even the syndication, really. I should say that. It's, it's knowing how to transact the sale it's which contracts to use what the terms are in the contracts uh what terms are favorable what terms aren't you have to make the assumption if you're going to be selling real estate if you're going to be selling something that you own you have to make the assumption the buyer's going to be educated at least as educated as you if not more educated than you are right if you have never sold a piece of property before i would definitely suggest that you hire an agent Right. I mean, I had a friend recently, they, they wanted to sell their home on their own. And I just, I mean, he was a friend. So I just, I helped him out in terms of, I looked at the contract. I was like, Hey, these terms aren't that great. You know, you should counter at this. I mean, just kind of general advice, nothing super complicated, but I didn't trans, I didn't do the transaction. I didn't, you know, I just told him to call a title company. You know what I mean? And that's the other thing is title companies will do all of the, the the actual hard work. Once you kind of know how to do that kind of stuff, um, you know, the title company does all the title work and that's kind of where it gets, it gets sticky. If that's not done correctly, 
then, well, it has to be done correctly. But right. if it's not done correctly, you could get in, into a mess. Um, but um, but if you know what terms are good, if you know what um, what a good offer looks like, then, I mean, you really could do it on your own. I mean, the, in Florida, the, the contracts are publicly available, right? Aren't they? Yeah. I guess I'm taking for granted to, the fact that You'd have to know where to find it. Yeah, I've been an agent for so long. I'm sure you can Google Florida residential for sale contract or whatever it's called. But You could, but if you don't know what you're looking at, it can be very daunting. For sure. Um, so you put it on the MLS. Where would you list it if you weren't a, a realtor? I mean, I mentioned a couple sites. Would you, do you have any others other than like Trulia and Zillow and what was the other one? Free, free flat fee basically it is it basically fee. gets listed on okay. mls and you pay a, a buyer's commission okay. and you pay them a flat fee of 125 dollars to list it i don't have a i don't have i'm not paying for um pensacola's realtor uh, association so that's what i did for my house and pace oh yeah because you're out of market there for for where you're at so that's the other thing would you would you recommend doing something out of market I mean, that seems like a kind of a common sense answer, right? If you know the market, you could do it there. Don't necessarily have to be there. It's just, it's a matter of whether or not you're comfortable with it, right? Correct. I wouldn't do that. Start off. Yeah. In your backyard, start. It's more expert. So you can have your eyes on it. Yeah. I know what I'm looking for. I can walk through it. I'm still only two hours away from Pace. Right. So I can, I drove, that's when it's closing in two weeks. I mean, I drove up there. Well, it's only once a month, but just to make sure everything was getting done. How often are you going by your properties to make sure that the subs are, are doing their work? Uh, probably every couple of days. Every couple of days. You got to babysit them, don't you? Uh, yes, unfortunately. Where you at? Get back here. Yes, daily. Almost, yes, that's the truth. Because <laughs> unfortunately, some of them don't show up. Yeah. And for the one in, I keep coming back to this one in Callaway because this one's giving me the biggest headache. Is that this one, because it's like building a new house, because everything in this house is going to be new. Mm-hmm. So the the, um, the electrical has to be done first. Plumbing can be done at the same time, but this all has to be done before drywall. Mm-hmm. And they've been dragging their feet. And I was like, I can't get to the next step until you guys finish. So I've had to constantly stay on them because we're starting drywall on Wednesday, and they're mm-hmm. not completely done. And I'm like, come on, we have to be done by Tuesday. How do you decide what grade... Like how much you want to put into a property? I mean, do you do you make do you make anything like super nice, or is it all just kind of average, or depending on where you're going? I mean, do you? I mean, it really depends on. Like we talked about earlier, you don't want to overdo it, unless that's what your strategy is. But it really depends on one the area, two how much my margin is, and three. Like, I'm really excited about the one in Callaway because it's basically a fresh canvas. I get to decide everything in that house. Mm-hmm. And it's completely, I'm, we've knocked down walls. We're rearranging it. So it's going to be one of my best finished products mm-hmm. that we've done. But we have the margin to do that. And we're going to, we're going to set, we're actually going to set, probably set the comps in that area. Um, but usually middle ground, I will not want to call it average, but we're probably a little bit above average, mm-hmm. but we try to stay at. What do you have? Do you have any goals or aspirations? I mean, are you doing what you want to do, or are you wanting to move into larger properties and bigger properties that might have uh, 
similar percentages in your margin, but higher dollar amounts? Well, no, the ultimate goal is to continue to build uh, income in order to invest in uh, income producing assets. Okay. So that one day, so someday soon, this will be irrelevant and I don't have to work. Would you ever buy to hold? If yes. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what, what you're saying, right? I mean, uh, do you look at any of these properties and go, this would be a good one to hold on to. Let me get a tenant in there, lease it out, get a long-term contract and generate some monthly ongoing cash flow. Is that yes. ever part of your thought process at all? Yeah, I've done that before. I've had, I've owned around four or five single family. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like single, I personally don't like single family because it's a slow growth of wealth. That's why I like um, my partner and I don't buy anything that are less than 20 units. Less than 20 units, like 20 unit apartment complex or like? Mobile home parks. Mobile home parks. Or, or, or um, apartment complexes. Okay. Because the more units you have, the more income you bring in. Right. It's the same amount of headache. <sighs> same amount of headache because now you've got 20 tenants that are, it's like instead of two headaches, you've got 20 headaches. True, but. And if they have multiple people living there, you could have 40 headaches. Yeah, it's easier now. So With little tiny is, headaches. You're right. You're getting off subject because this this whole subject <laughs> is a whole nother podcast. I know, I know. I'm gonna bring on we're gonna bring on a couple of people that can tell in depth about these okay, properties. Okay. Okay. Like my partner, we're gonna bring him on. Okay. And he's gonna talk about mobile home park investing. That was something else that I that I've I've maybe we need to find somebody that knows about buying campgrounds. That was a pretty hot um, a couple of years ago, I was looking into different types of real estate investing in Utah, and that was kind of a hot topic where people were buying either land that was easily converted into like campgrounds or campgrounds that were kind of run down and they were buying them for, um, I don't want to say cheap, but they were buying them at a discount and fixing them up and improving uh, occupancy and revenue and stuff like that. And then obviously flipping those for a huge profit. Completely different segment. Correct. Even RV parks. Completely different podcast. Yeah, so let's stick back to flipping because <laughs> we'll bring on people that can talk about that in depth as well. Well, so what else do we need to talk about with this? What else? What did we miss? Do we miss anything? Um, oh, I, I've always liked to say this. Everyone watches HGTV. Yes. And those flipping shows and they're like, oh, that's easy. I can go do that. But they don't show you all the dirty they details. They don't show you anything. If it was easy as that show, everyone could do it. There's nothing like the shows. What do they not show you? What are they? What are they making it look? What are they making look easy that really isn't that that easy? Well, for one, they make up the. I wish I could. My repair costs were as cheap as theirs were. <laughs> I mean, they look. They make it look fabulous, and they make it look like you get these huge profits. It's not anything what it's like. Um, I mean, Joanna Gaines is in love with Shiplap, but Shiplap is popular right now that's going out of style like we've talked out yeah it is in some areas it's already out of style is it really expensive no it's super cheap to put it's up. just like wood boards on your wall right I, I still use it and when we flip one on the beach i always put it up because it's that's what people want okay but so i mean i mean those shows they just don't show you everything like you wouldn't know about a cast iron pipe if you were to walk in the house you wouldn't know about aluminum wiring if it needs to be rewired from watching that show 
You wouldn't know what to look for other than, oh, that looks like a pretty house. We can flip that. That's the only thing that those shows teach you. I don't really teach you anything, actually. <laughs> I don't, are they supposed I think they're more for entertainment, aren't they? They are for entertainment. They just don't tell you. They just they hide the reality of the show. Is what it's I'm entertainment, saying. right? Exactly what it is. Just like the news. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that out loud. Just like Fox News. You're going to get us censored. <laughs> Beep. So, yeah, I mean, those shows are entertainment. I mean, it's, there's, there's, they're intended to be entertaining, right? So there's drama and sensationalism and, you know, everything looks perfect and pretty when they're done and doesn't always turn out that way. I had a friend, and this is going a little bit off topic again as well, but um, they were, uh, I guess, approached from one of those HGTV shows about finding, I don't remember what the show was. I don't remember if it was a home flipping. It probably was had something to do with home flipping, home buying. It was real estate related. And they were like, yeah, we got approached because, you know, they, they figured out who we were. And they said, yeah, you're a candidate for, you know, being on the show, et cetera, et cetera. And then they gave them like this really long list of prerequisites that they were looking for in uh, a buyer and or seller to, you know, basically make the show, you know. So they're finding all these, you know, quote unquote, great people around the country. And then it's like a needle in the haystack to try and find the right recipe that actually gets you on the show you know what i mean so i mean the, the point is is they're they're really really honing down the perfect scenario purely for the entertainment factor well and actually one of our future guests is has a, had his own show on hctv okay then he she can probably expound on yes he'll have to be careful because there's certain things i know he can't share but yeah well some things they don't tell you on the show is what she shared with me is you can't they only record when they're ready right so you can't finish your project on time because you have to do it on their schedule Ah. so he said one of his flips took a year which they should not take a year Ouch! should take 90 to 120 days at most yeah because you don't want to hold on to it that long unless well you certainly don't want to be under construction right if you're going to hold it for that long you want to be Making some money on it. Right. So he was kind of losing money holding on to it for that long. Yeah, but publicity. Yes. And entertainment. So one one thing we have left out is how do you fund these deals? Because the average investor does not have the money to... I know how you fund them. How do you fund them? You get a sugar daddy. Or you go find private money. How do you find private money? So there's a lot of hard money lenders out there. Others would call that a sugar daddy. Oh, no. These are legitimate. <laughs> hard money lenders are legitimate uh, money lenders. No. They just don't require as much. They don't. Some of them don't always require W-2. They'll lend on the property. So if you go bring them a property, they'll either lend between anywhere from 70 to 90% ARV plus um, repair cost. ARV. After repair value. Got it. Again, it depends on your letter. How do they uh, determine letter. that ARV? Do you comps. You, give, you give that to them? You give them comps? You have to provide that or they do that independently? They will do that independently. They don't trust you. Okay. However, the real thing is to build relationships with people that will right. lend you money. Right. Because if you can have your friends lend you money, that's the best route to go. So some of this private money that you're talking about, what kind of rates are you generally seeing? I would imagine the rates on that are a lot higher than significantly. They're between 
Anywhere from 8 to 12%. Okay. And then are you doing 8 to 12% on private money that's like friends and family kind of things too? Or are you trying to get a better deal that way? Or You try to get a better deal with your friends and family. If you can provide, if you can walk up to your safe, your you, you want some money just sitting there in your 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to, you're only getting probably 3 or 4% return year, a yield a year. If I can get you at 8 to 10 investing with me, right. secured by real estate, you're probably going to take that deal. Right. And so that's actually another. Yes, it's actually going to be our next podcast with our next guest. And oh, is it? That's all he talks about is money. He's yeah. a, he calls himself the number one money, money mentor. Number one money mentor. He basically talks about. Is, is he a mini money mentor? Yes, he's going to talk about <laughs> how to use. He raises private money to yeah. fund people's deals. He's got a huge fund where he can fund um, flips. He yeah. actually is funding three of my flips at the moment. Well, so, I mean, cause that was going to be something else that I was going to say is that, is that if you, if you happen to be somebody that that's sitting on cash, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, money saved up. I know my brother and, you know, other people like I talked to, like my parents have money, you know, people around us have money saved up. If you happen to be one of those people that has money saved up, um, you know, whether it's in a 401k, I don't tend to try to pull things out of like a 401k cause it's, the tax implications, the complications come that come along with pulling that kind of money out is it's just kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but so like converted to a Roth IRA. There you go. But I'm always putting money into a couple of different places. I've got money going into a 401k. I've got money going into a couple of different mutual fund things. I've got money going into um, savings accounts, and and I literally just have all of this stuff set on autopilot. It's going over to these places every single month. And my long-term goal has always been every couple of years, um, pull some of that money out of some of those easier to access places and buy something. Um, and like we talked about last week, I'm getting ready to buy something in, in Orlando and, and I'm going to take some of that money that I have saved up and use it for the down payment. But the point in all of this is that if you've, if you've got a couple hundred grand sitting in a couple of different places and you want to be more creative with how you're generating more wealth with that, find a couple of people that you know that are actually into real estate and you can be that money partner guy. You know what I mean? Um, obviously you don't want to just like write somebody a check that you don't trust. I'm, that's not what I'm advocating. What I'm saying is that there's opportunity for you to create more wealth from that, that you don't have to just let it sit in a bank account and not earn any money. Does that make sense? Yeah. Chris calls that the couch potato money, the couch potato money. It don't make no money. All you're buying is, Potato chips. Right. That's another thing he's going to talk about. He's going to teach us how, which he's actually taught me, but he's going to teach us how to use whole life insurance policies to fund your real estate deals. Mm. It's quite interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah. it's It's been around for a long time. People just don't know how to use it. I think that that leaves us at a pretty good spot to sign this off then, right? Yes, I think so as well. Because we're going to talk about that next what is his name? Can we? Chris Noggle. Chris Noggle is going to be our guest. He's already agreed to come on, so yes, we can promote Ooh. him. I think Kevin's agreed. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, my name is Jason Kirchy. This is Kyle Balif, and this is the Do You Cash Flow Podcast. <laughs>